to the Alliance Podcast, the collaboration of perspectives from today's kingdom-minded ministries. We trust you will be encouraged by today's topic. You can email us at the Alliance Podcast at hotmail.com. Also connect with us on Facebook. And now, the Alliance. Hey guys, I'm Anthony Portillo. And I'm Ken and this is the Alliance Podcast. Seems like forever since we've recorded one of these, huh, Ken? Well, it has been a little while. Actually, we've got several in the backlog. We've just uh, been going in several different directions lately, but it's good to be back up and running. And I think that this podcast is a great way to kick things back off once again after a few yeah, I'm really excited about this one. I thought it was a, an awesome conversation, even though it's been a while now since we've had it. Um, it w- I, I remember it well, and it was really just, it was fun. Uh, in this episode, we talked to Banning Liebscher from Jesus Culture, as well as yeah. Jesus Culture Church in Sacramento. We talked to him about his new book, Rooted, The Hidden Places Where God Develops Us. And it was just a really fun conversation. He's just yeah. really... Um, Really a cool guy to talk to, and uh, it was a good time. Yeah, and I think this is one of those podcasts that everyone who listens uh, can relate at some level. You know, a lot of times we talk about theology or eschatology or heaven and hell, uh, but this one's just really about life and uh, finding that deeper place with God. So I think anyone and everyone that listens to this is really going to appreciate the uh, conversation. Yeah, it's probably one of our more practical-based podcasts, like more life-related uh, podcasts, I'd say. Absolutely. Well, guys, we hope you enjoy it, and we will definitely chat with you again soon. So without further ado, here is Banning Liebscher. Hey, guys, Anthony and Ken here with the Alliance Podcast. We're here with Banning Liebscher. He is the founder and pastor of Jesus Culture, and his new book is called Rooted, The Hidden Places Where God Develops You. Banning, thanks so much for coming on with us today, man. We really appreciate you. It's great to be with you guys, and let me say this right off the bat, well done with my last name. Seriously, that's impressive. (laughs) (laughs) I, too, have a last name that most people don't pronounce right, so I tried to... (laughs) Well, I appreciate the tender care you showed. (laughs) So, so tell us about Jesus culture. Tell us uh, how how is that morphed from the uh, the worship experience to now a church in Sacramento? Yeah, well, actually, it wasn't even a worship experience at first. It was a uh, youth group. Well, it was a youth conference. I youth pastor, so I'm 40 years old. I started full time youth ministry when I was 19, and then in 1999, we decided to put on a youth conference out of our youth group. And uh, we called it Jesus Culture. And so um, right away when we started doing that, we started noticing that uh, there was something pretty special in the worship. And, um, you know, I, I, if people know our world is all the Jesus Culture world, there's kind of two main worship leaders with us. It's kind of expanded now, but the two main worship leaders are Kim Walker Smith and Chris Kiala. And they were just both part of the youth group. So Chris, who's 33 years old right now, he was, he, when I started, he was in middle school, he was 12 year old. He was wow. 14. He was in my wedding when he was 14. Mm. So, I mean, 19 years ago, he was in my wedding. And then Kim had just moved to Reading, had just turned 18, gotten saved, and came and jumped in and got involved in our youth group. 
so Kim and Chris were leading worship with another girl named Melissa. And, uh, and so in 2000, so 1999, we started doing these conferences called the Jesus Culture. And then around 2005, 2006, we decided to record an album at the conference. And, um, and then that, that's a long story, but then that kind of took off. And then we decided to start taking the conference out a little bit. But most people would know us as worship. But, but our heart's always been to kind of really mobilize people and encourage the church and see cities impacted. So we were doing that through conferences, campus ministry, leadership, resources, worship. And then about three years ago, we kind of picked up our crew from ready and were sent down to Sacramento to plant a church, which we did two years ago. Wow. Well, you guys have done some amazing things. And, you know, just thinking, I, I was in youth ministry. That's where I started. That's where you started. And I think probably a lot of people that listen to this podcast have at least uh, been involved in that arena. How do you take a youth group and make them global? How do, how do you take a youth group and, and, and develop a ministry that's now... I mean, Jesus culture is known worldwide. Where did that come from? Uh, you know, that's a great question. Okay, so not to simplify everything, although it is a little bit more simple. Honestly, we're just trying to follow Jesus. I know it sounds spiritual and simple, but we knew in our heart that we had a mandate to serve the body of Christ. Like, we want to serve the church. We wanted to strengthen other youth groups. We wanted to invest in youth pastors because... Not because we wanted to make a name for ourselves, not because we wanted to be famous or sell albums, but because we wanted to serve people. So we began to realize that, well, we can do our conference here, but if we're really going to effectively serve the larger body of Christ, which we felt as a youth group was part of our mandate, and we, nobody got paid, you know. We kind of found a church out there and let us use their gymnasium, and we borrowed some of their life, and we went out and put on a conference. We had about 300 people come, and... And, uh, and it was powerful, though. And then we went to England. So we just kind of slowly but surely kind of tried to follow the Lord. And we felt like the Lord was saying, go put a conference on. Put an album together. And the more we did that, the more he breathed on it. And, and, uh, and then things kind of just took off. So, you know, I, I think if you have a heart to serve, and not everybody, I, I don't want to act like everybody has a national call, but everybody in ministry has a call to serve the body of Christ even outside of what you're doing. Right. And that may just be in your city that you think, okay, how can I serve the other churches? Mm. How can I invest in other youth pastors? And I tell these youth pastors, you know, go. Like, so you have to think outside of just what the, the group that's in front of me that I'm building. We have a mandate to serve the larger body of Christ. And that may just be in my city, but what am I doing about that? Right. And that's how we were thinking. And then from there, it just started growing. So then it was just kind of like, you know, kind of took off because of YouTube. Mm. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. In, in the process of all that, there were some things that you you kind of had to, had to walk through in terms of calling too, wasn't there? I mean, uh, in, in the book, you talk a little bit about kind of being in a place where you didn't think that you were meant to be, that you really just wanted to travel and preach. And oh, yeah. Uh, God kind of parked you somewhere, somewhere else. So it wasn't very simple then, right? <laughs> no, and, and here's the reality, right? I when I when I really kind of surrendered my life to Jesus at 17, um, I, I grew up in church. I was saying it for him. I kind of just gave everything at 17. I just wanted to I wanted to preach, and so I'd read a Billy Graham biography. Some itinerant people would come through, and I just you know I don't know if you know the disc test, 
but you know, I'm a high eye. I just want to influence everybody. So at 19, I'm like, I just want to preach. And so when they came to me at 21 and offered me the youth group, I turned them down. When my pastor came and said, we'd like to do the youth, we'd like to be a youth pastor, I said no. And I literally told them, I don't feel called to the local church, and I don't feel called to young people. I just want to travel and preach. Mm. And uh, so that was in 1997. So that was, you know, and then I, I, and then I, and then finally I said yes a couple months later, and then, you know, that was over a decade that I was in youth ministry, and I'm still in the local church. So, you know, absolutely, it's just, you just have, sometimes I'm like, listen, just do what's in front of you. Like, do what's in front of you. We all have this dream. We all have this picture of what we think it's supposed to look like. And I think a lot of people miss what God's doing and what mm-hmm. he's trying to move them towards simply because what's in front of them is not what they thought right. it was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you think that more often than not, uh, Christians find themselves in that position? I'm, I, I mean, is it? Is it that we just step through the door and all of a sudden we're in our dream job? Or is it the process that Joseph had to go through? You know, is that the norm in the Christian life? Yes. And it's not just Joseph. It's it's everybody. So this is an intriguing thing for me. When we read scripture, we immediately put people at the age that we are. Mm. So when I read the story of Daniel in the lion's den, when I was 16, I imagined Daniel at 16. Yeah. When I'm 40, I imagine that 40. But he wasn't any of those things. He was older. Right. You know, Daniel's, Daniel's older when he's in that thing. And, and all of them, even like Moses, when he's leading the people out of, uh, out of Egypt, uh, you know, I mean, in movies, we show him as a 35-year-old guy. He's, you know, he's 80. Right. So, so what we have to understand is, is there's a process involved in our life. And we all think it's, you know, and, and because we don't understand that, when we read Scripture from, you know, when you read Acts, whatever, 10, to Acts 11, it's a 10-year, that's a 10-year gap. And we don't fully understand that stuff. So I, I think that when it says, is that the normal Christian life? Absolutely. God developing your life in process. Right. That takes time. Mm. Is the normal Christian life. And we, we don't live in an agricultural age, so we're frustrated because we don't understand that. We don't understand the concept of just time developing roots so that we can bear fruit, and we, and we get frustrated in it for sure. It's, it's one of the reasons why I wrote the book because so many people I run into, including myself, were so frustrated with where they were at because they had no context that God was developing their life in process. Wow. You touched on something before Tammy asked you that question that I thought was really good too, and I think that it can kind of build from what you're talking about with the process. And that was focusing on what's in front of you. I love the analogy that you used in the book, build the wall in front of you. Yeah. And I think, I think so often, like you said, we tend to look at, you know, God gives us this vision that we're going to reach a city or a nation or, you know, all this, whatever. And we just want to run at that. I mean, lose sight of the process and what's in front of us. Could you kind of speak to that a little bit? Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy that loves preaching dreams. Like, I want people to dream. I want people to, you know, just really say, God, what could you do with my life? And the reality is, is we, we're not following a dream. We're following Jesus. Right. And I, I run into a lot of people who are so passionate about a dream that, that they're frustrated when the dream doesn't happen like they thought or when something in front of them uh, isn't the dream. And they get frustrated. I'm like, well, no, no, hold on a second. 
our passion is Jesus and obeying him. So if, and I had to get to a point in my own life where I just said, where I, I realized that in my prayer times I was frustrated because my destiny wasn't happening at the level I thought it should. And, and I just had a realization one day, God doesn't owe me my destiny. Mm. Like he doesn't, like, like that, like he doesn't owe me that. Like, I didn't die on a cross for him, he died on a cross for me. So I just want to be faithful and obedient to my assignment. And that looks like, Lord, what's in front of me? And I want to do that well. Right. And God, if you put me in front of 20 youth out, out in the middle of nowhere and nobody knows who I am, if that's my assignment, then I want to do that really well. Mm. I want to be faithful to my assignment. And so sometimes we miss our assignment because we don't like what it looks like and we want to do something else. Right. But if you, can, if you can get passionate about this, I'm not following a dream, I'm following Jesus. Mm. And that means whatever he's asking of me, my greatest passion is to be obedient and do that. Sure. Then you can begin to understand, and that means I'm going to work in children's ministry. That means I'm going to deliver pizza. That means I'm going to sit in a cubicle. Some of the mundane things in life you have to find passion for because God's asked you to do them and that's your assignment. Yeah. So, you know, I've heard uh, Chris Bolton from Bethel Reading preach a message, and in that message he stated that God doesn't have a plan for our life. He has a purpose for our life. Yes, So right. How how involved in that purpose are we, and at what point does God step in and and promote us or you know excel our vision and get us to that place that He has purposed just for us? Yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously, I, I do think that the Lord wants. Uh, you, you know, the Bible makes it clear that our job is to humble ourselves. His job is to exalt us in due time. Mm. And so, you know, the Lord does exalt us. The Lord does uh, uh, unfold our dreams. The Lord does do that stuff. But we just have to humble ourselves and learn to trust His timing. And so when He says that He doesn't have a plan for our life, He has a purpose for our life, the meaning of that is this, is that we all, we have a plan. The minute the the Lord puts a seed in your life, a word, a vision, a dream, a passion, a mandate, whatever it is, the minute the Lord speaks to you a word, we immediately put a plan together of what that's to look like. And it doesn't always work like that. And when God has a purpose for your life, it means that even whenever he's going to get you there, if you can humble yourself and trust him, he will get you there, even if the plans change, mm -hmm. even if it doesn't look like what you thought it would look like. I was convinced I was not called to the local church or to young people. But when that became what I was to do, it absolutely, my purpose is still in place. And now that I'm here right now, my purpose is being carried out, guess what, in the local church and for a decade in youth. Wow. So, you know, for me, it really is an issue of, and again, when you say purpose and plan, when plans seem to be not what you thought they were, you could still be confident that your purpose hasn't changed. Plans yeah. change. I'm just telling you, plans change right but but your purpose doesn't and that's why god what's the purpose and i can accomplish this purpose behind the pulpit or i can accomplish this purpose in the workplace it doesn't matter to me yeah where do you want me to go the purpose remains the same sure well let me ask you the kind of the flip side of that you know we've got the example of samson 
in Scripture who God obviously had a purpose for Samson. The Bible says that uh, it was God's purpose for him to begin the deliverance of Israel from the Philistines. And Samson, like some others, have had a pretty bad ending. And then you have, you know, the Christian that looks back on their life. You're 40. I'm 42. I can certainly look back and say, you know, I, I missed it here and uh, made a bad decision. Where, how, how does that play into God's purpose when we maybe miss the mark? And where's the redemptive side of God in bringing us back to that place? Gosh, it's all redemptive, isn't it? I, I think that, uh, you know, you do the best you can to follow Jesus, and then you, you miss the mark. And uh, even Jonah. I mean, look at Jonah. Right. Jonah full-on just ran away from God. Sure. And somehow the Lord still got him where he wanted to get him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he still got him where he wanted to get him, and it was bumpy or didn't have to be that bumpy, but he got him there. And, and I, I think that there's an interesting thing that even when people, I just met with somebody the other day. There was a, I just met with somebody from our church, and they had, they had really gone after kind of some stuff they thought the Lord told them years ago, and it kind of it didn't work out like they thought. They had missed it, and they kind of put up a wall to the Lord. I'm really amazing people love Jesus, but it had really set in. Mm. And I was just telling them, listen, none of your time is lost. Mm. None of it's lost. The Lord uses all of it. And even when it, even when we miss the mark or run away or, or or don't do something well, the Lord still redeems all of it and uses it. And there's something very interesting about God. You know that in Luke it talks about, though I bear long with you, right. my answer, my justice will come speedily. Mm. It's a very intriguing thing that sometimes things take longer than they should, yeah. but He can come so quickly. That's good. He can come so quickly that it's like, it's almost as if He came quicker in that moment than if he would have been coming that whole time. Mm. And so and so the Lord can he redeems things. He moves things quicker. Like if it normally would have taken five years for me to get here, but I messed it all up, but then I come and I, I humble myself, the Lord can do something in a month that normally would have taken five years. Right. He just that's, works like that. That's good. So so he redeems time. He redeems these things. And uh, I think it's a beautiful thing about the Lord. Nothing's ever lost. Right. Do you think we have to kind of grow and giving ourselves grace when we miss that? Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I think we're harder on ourselves than Jesus is. Yeah. That's the thing. I think we're more critical of ourselves than Jesus is. And, and that's the point. And again, again, there's, there's a big difference between um, rebellion and immaturity. So much of what I missed in the past was just immaturity. Um, but but it wasn't rebellion, it was just immaturity. Mm -hmm. but I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know enough, or I just, whatever. You know, I didn't surround myself with community. Then there's the rebellion piece. But even the rebellion piece with Jonah, he still seems to figure it out, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I do think we need to give ourselves some grace and, um, and, and not be as hard as we are on ourselves. So, so let me ask a, a question, kind of targeting on that, on the on the misstep thing, from a leadership perspective. If you're a leader, and, and a lot of our listeners are, and and you feel like you've kind of missed it, or you're in the midst of, of missing it, and and you maybe stepped too soon, or you maybe made a decision too quickly, and you're sort of regretting it now. What would your advice be to someone in that situation? Wow. Well. Here's, oh, that's a great question. It would depend on the situation, right? 
you've just got to, I talk about this in the book, but you have to surround yourself with community. So almost always when people miss it, it's an independence issue. This would, this would be the truth for me. It, almost always when I see people that just stepped out too soon, didn't do something right, they were independent. They, they weren't undercovering and they weren't in community. And, and I find that many times we get messed up on timing. So we don't mess up in hearing the Lord. We mess up on, on, on the timing or the picture of we, what we think it's supposed to look like. The only way I know how to live safe with that is that I have to be undercovering in community. So when I'm undercovering in community and I'm hearing the Lord with people and I am being sent into new seasons and I am embracing things when community is saying, yes, this is the Lord, then I'm safe. It's, you know, there's safety to multitudes of counselors. So a lot of people, when they look back and say, I missed it, it was because they were independent and did not let people speak into their life. Mm. So I would say then, get in community and undercovering. Yeah. Fix that part. So it's not always like that, but I'm telling you, almost anything in my life that I did a misstep on, it was because I did not let people in my life, and I did it on my own. Mm, that's good. So you've mentioned community quite a bit, you know, just over the last couple of, of answers and questions. And let, let's just dive into that for a second, because you've got some people that say, well, I'm following Jesus. I don't need to follow anybody else. So how important is community and how do we position our hearts to allow people to speak into our lives? Yeah, well, listen, I, you can't read that in Scripture. Literally, Jesus is, it is absolutely true that Jesus is all you need for salvation. He is it. He is complete. You need nothing else for salvation. Mm -hmm. But when you walk through that door called salvation, he introduces you to a big old family and requires that you're connected to them. So nowhere in scripture are you going to find Jesus saying, it's just me and you, nobody else matters. Mm -hmm. You see the opposite. You see him saying, listen, when you come to me with communion, when you come to me in communion and you have a problem with your brother, right. yeah, yeah, listen, stop this. Put our relationship on hold until you fix that. That's yeah. what he's saying. When, when he says, you can't say you love me and hate your brother, it doesn't work like that. And then you cannot read scripture and come away with the fact that people were just, you know, Paul himself, Paul himself, when Paul's lives were sent on, or Paul, uh, when Paul was sent um, on a missionary journey, it actually says that James and the council separated them. They, they prayed and fasted. They laid hands on them and sent them out. Right. The next phrase, the next phrase is, and the Holy Spirit having sent them out. Mm. Paul himself, Paul, the guy that had third heaven revelation, open visions, wrote half the New Testament, Paul was sent. And so when 1 Peter 5, 5 says, um, you know, younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submitted to one another. Right. That, that's everybody. And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to humble. This is the reality, is that when we don't have people in our lives, when we are not, when we have not submitted our lives to people and to our elders, it's pride. Mm. And God resists it. And so, and so this is like, I'm just following Jesus. Well, so am I. Like, I'm following Jesus. But he asked me to follow him in the context of community. Right. He, he does not ask me to follow him without anybody else in my life. And and so I need people in my life. And um, and it's one of the main ways he speaks and all that type of stuff. So, so yeah, I don't know what I would tell people. Absolutely, you're following Jesus. 
but it's not just you and Jesus. Mm-hmm. That is a very, very Western, individualistic mindset. It is not a biblical mindset. Mm-hmm. And I'm following Jesus, and nobody is involved in that process. Listen, we, we applaud what we call self-made millionaires. That's the American mindset. Like, wow, you made a million dollars and didn't need anybody else in your life? That's right. impressive. But it's just not real. Mm. Of course you need people in your life. We all need right. people in our life. What Is that too harsh? No, not no, at all. That's, that's really good. I'm not trying to be harsh, but I do want to challenge the independent mindset right. with leaders that act like they don't need covering or they don't need anybody else. They just need Jesus. It's true for salvation. It's not true for living your life. I agree. I think that's so good. Let me kind of spin on that a little bit. What about people that don't have access to a healthy community? Um, You know, like what would be your advice to someone who, say, lives in kind of a rural area and has been a little bit ostracized from the church uh, because of circumstances, divorce, uh, whatever, and really feels like an island? Well, yeah, well, I'd say a couple things. One is, um, I have a lot of people that ask me, like, well, I don't really have good leaders in my life. I'm like, well, neither did David. Mm. And yet and yet, he seemed to figure out how to honor and submit and do the best he could with, with Saul when Saul was trying to kill him. Right. So I'm like, David had to walk through the process of not having good leaders in his life. It was part of how God shaped him. And he had to figure that out and honor in that process. So one, not everybody has great leaders. And quite frankly, there is no perfect leader. They're all imperfect people. So uh, there's that. But, but, and then not only that, David, God stuck David in a, in a cave, not with amazing men, with men that were messed up. Yeah. He said, here's 400 men, and they're discontent, and they're in debt. And they're, like, these are men that were not, didn't have it all together. So you are going to be in relationship with leaders and people that are messed up individuals. And, and, and we still have to figure this out. We don't get to like, we don't get a pass because people aren't perfect in our lives. We still have to figure out how to honor. We still have to figure out how to let them in. But I would say that God looks at the heart. It's a heart issue first and foremost. It's a heart issue. So is there independence in your heart? So do you have a heart for this? If you do, then you'll be okay, and you'll figure it out. Sure. You'll find the people that you need to find. You'll, but you first got to get it to the Lord and say, Lord, is there independence in my heart? And am I, am I giving myself an excuse to not connect with people because they're not perfect? Right. Because they don't do it right, because they don't agree like because they. And so if you can get before the Lord, he looks at the heart. If you can get the heart worked out, then you'll start figuring out how to connect with imperfect leaders and people. Yeah. And, 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 and again, I mean, we live in an age now where the world's gotten a lot smaller. So you absolutely should be able to connect with somebody somewhere. Sure. Uh, just, I mean, you know, we're talking over the internet right now, so it's possible. Right. Well, let's turn the discussion back uh, to your book. Is this your first book? Uh, no, I've written uh, I've written another book called Jesus Culture probably eight years ago. Right. Um, but it was it was more to kind of our base of people. Sure. And and then there was a devotional, but this is kind of the first book that we've kind of pushed nationally like this. Right. Well, the name of the book is Rooted: The Hidden Places is the Hidden Places Where God Develops You, and this, of course, is your personal journey. My question is. When 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 did you come to the place 
where you kind of looked back on your life and you could say, I see that I am rooted, that God has rooted me through this journey? Yeah, that's a great question because I think it's a constant process. Mm. I just think the Lord's constantly developing your root system. I think you begin to understand that the foundation is healthy, the root system is healthy by how you respond to situations. Right. So, you know, there, there are different testings that come in our life that reveal to us our foundation. I think, we're, I think we avoid tests sometimes, but tests, are not always, tests aren't always bad. Sometimes the Lord puts us through tests because he's wanting to reveal something to us. He's wanting to reveal to us that our foundation is solid, that it's firm, that our root system is developed. Or, so I think that you can see in your life, when tests arrive, it reveals your foundation. Mm. But the other thing is, fruit reveals it as well. Right. So if you look at your life, what's the fruit of your life? Because fruit is connected to a root system. So if there's healthy, lasting, and I, I'm going to say lasting fruit, um, then that's connected to a healthy root system. So I think tests reveal our foundation. I also think that lasting fruit, not short, we are so enthralled with short-term fruit right now. It's, it's, it's killing us. You know, we just want immediate results. Right. And people ask us, and I, I don't want to be cheesy on this, but they'll be like, hey, how was that conference? I'm like, I don't know. I'll let you know in 20 years. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, like, I don't know. I, I, we'll find out. If it's still bearing fruit in 20 years, then it was a great conference. If it's not, then it wasn't. Mm. I can I can tell you the amount of people that came. I can tell you, you know, that man, God touched people and his presence was there and we had a great time. But the truth is, was the conference good? We'll let you know in 20 years. Because right. that's when we'll know if people's lives were marked in such a way that lasted. Awesome. I think that. So, I, I like, there's a there's a cool chapter in there. It's probably my favorite chapter in there, uh, in the book, and it was, and you called it What to Expect When You're Expecting. Yeah. And I, and, and, and I want to kind of talk about that for a minute. I don't want to give away too much because I want people to buy the book. I'm sure they will. That's awesome. That's awesome. As we're, like, as we're developing this root system and as we're growing, and, and we're we're feeling those foundations kind of showing up. Like, what it what should be our stance as we're moving forward? You know, if we if we're trying to be hidden on purpose and let God develop us, how do we operate within that context and still look towards the vision that He's given us? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you have to understand that everything you're in right now is about developing your life for that. So if you can just keep that. Sometimes we don't know how what I'm doing right now, how is this developing my life for what you told me, God? But you just have to trust him. Trust him that where he has you, he has you there on purpose, and he's developing your life, and you just have to trust him. But the other thing is, is I think that you have to carry what he spoke to you. So we talk about this and that thing that that, that many times the Lord will speak to you. And, and it might be a prophetic word that somebody gives you. It might be a scripture that comes alive. It might be a still, small voice in, in the secret place. But he'll, or it might be a, a, a dream he's put in your heart. He'll speak to you. He'll give you a word about what he's wanting to do through your life and who he's wanting you to become. What we have to do from that point then is just carry that word. And that's the part that a lot of people aren't quite sure what to do. Like, like, um, it's almost like the Lord, a lot of people, you know, this is a book, the book, um, uh, Rich 
before that. The premise of it was, listen, in America, um, we, we aren't taught what to do with money. It's not in our education system. So therefore, when people get money, they don't know what to do with it. So if you, if you get more money, you don't, just, you, know, you don't know what to do with that more money. And he's saying what you need is not more money. You need an education with what to do with that money. Right. So I would say it's the same with what you, wherever circles you come from, whether you call it the prophetic or whether it's the Lord speaking to you or a dream. How do I carry that? What do I do with that? How do I prepare myself for that? And I think that's the stuff. You know, you've got to pray. You've got to carry it in prayer, and you've got to prepare for it. You've got to allow the Lord to develop your life. These are the things. So we absolutely are called to be active even when we're in hiding. Even when the Lord has us in hiding in the cave, we still are, we still are moving forward and pursuing the things God's put on our heart. We just understand that it's an internal reality that he's trying to develop in us. Right. It's interesting to me because I've heard people talk about the the wilderness, um, and usually it has like a bad connotation to it. And I yeah. had kind of my, my own personal experience where I felt like I was in that season, and the Lord kind of showed me like you're looking at the wrong one. He's like you're yeah. looking at the Israelites wandering and people dying, and when Jesus went into the wilderness, it was to grow to yeah. overcome temptation and all that, and he came out in power, and it launched him to that place. So, I mean, how do we, how do we get to our destination if we haven't gone through the process? We really can't, right? I mean, yeah. And, 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 no, and here's the deal, right? I would say that Jesus was in the wilderness, and John was in the desert. So, so you see John the Baptist in the desert, you see Jesus in the wilderness. These are not negatives. These are very shaping, marking times in their life. And, and there are certain things, that's what we talked about, right? We all love sermons on trust and faith. We all love to hear them. We want bumper stickers that say, I trust God. We all love the concept of trust. We just don't ever want to be put in a situation where it's required from us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on. That's good. <laughs> so, so where is trust required? I'll, I'll use money as an example. Trust is not required when my bank account is full. That's not when trust is developed in my life. Trust is developed when the bank account is not full. And I'm able to say, God, I trust you. I believe who you are. I, I am going to stand firm no matter what I see with my eyes, no matter what I read on my bank statement. I trust you. You are my provider. You are a good father. You know, it's in those times that, that really the, 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 that they go deep that those truths are established deep. It's in our weaknesses that we encounter a strength. It's in our testings that we encounter the genuine faith in us. So yeah, absolutely. Like nobody wants to go through a wilderness season, even even in the Jesus and John sense. But but those are where the Lord reveals Himself to us in a fresh way. That's where the Lord really goes deep with us in some areas. And I, my, my problem is, is, is people make a lifetime out of it. Jesus wasn't in the wilderness for a lifetime. John wasn't in the desert for a lifetime. So sometimes I think that even, even Peter says, you know, re, rejoice, rejoice greatly when you encounter various trials for a while, for a little while. We take that, like, there are trials in our life. They're not to last forever. They're a while. But, but they're still important in our life. 
And and it, and and I do want to shake people out of the thing of like, listen, trials aren't to last forever, but they are there. And so and so the Lord wants to shape us and mold us in the middle of that. That's good. So should should we expect these wilderness experiences? You know, you mentioned that Jesus only went through one for a season. John the Baptist went through one for a season. Um, and then, of course, we have the uh, story of the Israelites who were supposed to only go through one for a season but ended up there yeah. for 40 years and, yeah. and actually dying. Can Should we expect wilderness seasons to come? And is there something that we do that, that can actually prolong that season in our life? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, one, let me say this. The only Israelites that, that died in the wilderness are the ones that didn't respond correctly. So, you know, Joshua and Caleb responded properly, and they, they ended up in the promised land. Right. But, but this is, yeah, absolutely. So can you expect, can you expect wilderness? Uh, you know, I think the Bible says, I think the Bible talks about seasons of weakness. The Bible talks about trials. The Bible talks about tribulation. There are, there are hard things that we go through in our life. Absolutely. And if you've never been through something hard in your life, I, I, I don't believe you. You're lying. And, and so we all encounter these things. And then, and then many of us, we get discouraged in it. Again, I mentioned this very long process. The Lord's like, though I bear long with you. There are seasons where you're like, Lord. Uh, I remember a preacher talking about one time that the, the Lord told the Israelites, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. The next step was they had no water. Right. Like, it wasn't, like, forget milk and honey. There's no water. And so so many times, um, the Lord says, I'm going to give you milk and honey, and then the next step is you don't have any water. Well, that's where you figure out, do I really believe the Lord? Do I really trust the Lord? Mm. Can I really trust Him? Right. And so, yeah, because I think it's in some of those seasons that you learn intimacy, you learn trust, you learn that He really does never leave you or forsake you. And I will say this, the wilderness, in the wilderness, God never left them. Jesus, John, the, the Israelites, Jesus, like God is always with us. So so it is never a wilderness of his absence. Does that make sense? We go through tough things, but it is never his absence. And even sometimes when people say, well, God's not speaking to me, I'm like, it's not true. God's always speaking. But, but sometimes he's put his voice in the life of somebody that you're not connected to. So you've got to go humble yourself and get connected. But so, but, but he's never absent from us. So should, can people expect wilderness? Absolutely. I think there are tough times we walk through. But he is always with us. Always with us. Yeah. How important is it to cultivate intimacy with God? <laughs> Even outside of the season. Oh, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the entire package. That's it. That's what you were created for. I mean, you were created to be in relationship with him. This is what we'll do for eternity. This is a dressing room for this. That's it. And so it's all package. Knowing God intimately. Knowing who he is. Knowing his character. Knowing his nature. That's why I'm telling you, when God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, it's in the wilderness that we experience the depth of that reality. He has never left me. He has never left me. And he will never forsake me. You learn that he says, I can never lie, that, I, that he's a trustworthy God, that he's our provider. These are the things we have to intimately know about him. 
And so, I mean, being intimate with God, it is the entire game. That's it right there. That's the whole package. And even us reaching people, even the harvest coming in, has to come from a place of being a son and a daughter, not an employee. Mm. Like, I'm not an employee. So when he wants to send laborers into the harvest, he's not sending employees. He's sending sons and daughters. And so the way that my heart becomes alive for the harvest is I have caught his desire. The Bible says that he desires that none should perish. There There is a desire on the heart of my father. And it's that none should perish. And as I draw close to him, not as an employee, but as a son or a daughter, as I draw close to him, his desire becomes alive in my heart. And so even our motivation for the harvest has to come from a place of intimacy, not a place of duty, obligation, or work. Right. So obviously you're a pretty busy guy, and you're, you're traveling the world. You're, you're leading a church. You're leading your family. What does that time look like for you and and with your schedule how are you making sure that you're appropriating time to be intimate with the father yeah that's a good one you're asking me a good question because it definitely gets more complicated right you know i think that i think it looks different as you uh how would i answer this well one i i i i do have a value for that kind of devotional um time you know to lord i think that's really important but I think that, that it has to be a lifestyle. It's not about that one hour with God. It's about the day with God. It's about that my heart is alive to Him when I wake up. It's sure. alive to Him in the meetings and, and, and when I'm driving, as I go to bed at night, that my heart is just alive and connected to Him. And so I think that we have to really go after that. I think that, I think that, yeah, and obviously as you grow, as you get older, as life gets busier, I've got kids and school and sports and work and all that type of stuff you have to be obviously i think more disciplined in some areas right um you have to be more disciplined that's just the reality but 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 my goal is to be with him all day long and then i need to be disciplined in in other areas of my life and and i think you have to have a good definition of success if you have a wrong definition of success you will be driven to a place where you won't prioritize right. Right. So if I think success is filling stadiums rather than loving my family, mm. then then I'm be, then I'm pushing towards stadiums rather than my than my family. Right. So I think you've got to redefine success in areas. You have to figure out what's God applauding, what is it that God is applauding, and what's He impressed by, and uh, figure that stuff out. I, this is one of the things I'd say is, um. So you have to redefine success. Success can only be determined, be determined when it's put up against eternity. So the Bible is very clear on a couple of things. One is this, that you're going to, um, that, that, that this life is a breath. It's a moment. It comes and goes. It's a, it's a vapor. It's grass that grows and withers. Yeah. The other thing is that you'll stand before God one day and give account for your life. Not your sins, your believer, your righteous because of Jesus, but you'll give account for your life. And so, what you have to ask yourself when it comes to success is these two questions. Is this going with me into eternity? Mm. Is Jesus going to ask me about this? Mm. So, so uh, I wrote a book. Here's the, real, here's the truth about this book. Jesus is not going to ask me how many copies of the book I sold. Right. I'm going to stand for him one day. He's not going to say, how many books did you sell? It won't be there. So, in other words, 
I'm not driven to make sure I sell a lot of books. I want to sell books, right? Because, you know, I want people to be impacted. But when I stand before God one day, that's not what he's going to ask me about. He's going to say, did you love me well? Did you love others well? And were you faithful and obedient with what I asked of you? Mm. So this book for me is not about sales. It's about... It's about just trying to be faithful and obedient with what he's asked me to do, which is to serve the body of Christ and encourage them. So I'm just trying to serve the body of Christ. I'm trying to encourage them. Right. That's why I wrote the book. And so, and so if I don't feel the pressure of having to have sales, well, then life can get a little bit more easy for me. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not rushed or forced or, you know, I'm not trying to make things happen. If he wants to sell the book, the book will sell. It's, it's his deal, not mine. So I can love my family. I can, I can be, I can be with him. I can fill up my time with what matters. If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely. No, that's good. That is, that is such an encouragement to me. I actually just wrote a book, and, and it's it's about my journey out of 15 years of heroin addiction and into ministry. And one of the things that people ask me the most is like, "How's the book doing?" And my response is never. My response is never how many copies I sold because I really don't know. I don't pay attention to that. But like it's always. Well, I've gotten a lot of cool testimonies from people who have oh, read it and been touched for it by it. So I don't care if I sell a million copies or if I sell ten or I sell none. I got a testimony from someone that said, "Hey, this book helped me get free yeah. and gave me hope." Then. That's all that matters to me. So I just love that answer, dude. Because because that because that's all Jesus can ask of you. And today I deal a lot, obviously, with songwriters and worship leaders. So anytime an album comes out, anytime a song they write, I say, listen, that album and that song, it is a gift that you are giving to God. That's it. It's a gift. What He does with it is up to Him. But but it's a gift I've given to Him. I've laid my gift down before Him. And and that that's the exact response we have to have is how's your book doing? I've been really encouraged that the Lord has taken that and touched anybody's life with it. And, and I'm not I like I want numbers, right? I want my church to grow, I want our conferences to grow, I want people to but the reality is it's not what's motivating me. The, the fact that you just mentioned that somebody got hope from your book. What an absolute honor to be a part of anybody's journey in drawing closer to Jesus. Like, I think, like, God, I've just been so grateful that you would allow me to be a part of somebody drawing closer to you. What, a, what an honor. Right. Like, it's not an honor that my book sells 100,000 copies. It's an honor that I was able to have play any part in anybody's journey with Jesus. And, uh, um, and so I think your response is just spot on because that's, what we, that's where we have to go. And, and I want things to grow. It's just not what motivates me. It's not the driving force in my life. So, so one of the questions that we like to ask our guests, and we'll, we want to honor your time, we'll, we'll land the plane with this one. What would be your advice to a young leader who's got a big vision and a small wall in front of him? <laughs> Read my book. Um, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I I, I just think it, it, slow, young leaders, especially, slow down. Get a 
get a bigger value for your internal world than your external world. Understand that God is trying to develop your internal world. And if he cannot, if you do not let him do that and it takes time, then he can never really place on you the vision he's giving you because it will hurt you because you don't have the right foundation. So slow down. Get a value for God developing your internal world. Learn to serve. Learn to love the cave. Learn to love being hidden. Like, I, I just, I'm just telling you, learn to love being hidden. Get a greater passion for obedience than anything else. I just want to be obedient. That's all that matters. And um, so it's those type of things that, that I would encourage them. With. That's a lot of them, but yeah. Sure. That's all. Well, Banning, thanks so much, man, for yes. coming on. We really appreciate you. Absolutely, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks for what you're doing and the stance you're taking and the people you're investing in. Well, hey, guys, we hope that you enjoyed our conversation with Banning Liebscher. Uh, We hope that you'll check out his new book and that you'll stay tuned. We have some cool guests coming up, and we look forward to uh, broadening our horizons a little bit in the new year. So uh, we always want to encourage you to check out our friends at Bold Cup of Coffee. You can check out Ken Boone's website, newbreedministries.org, and whatever Ken would like to plug right about now. <laughs> well, be sure to check out Anthony Portillo's new book, Sink or Swim, available at Kindle, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and where fine books may be sold. Also, check out our friends at, uh, both, did you do both cup of coffee? I, I did both cup of coffee, but it's worth it. It's worth a double plug. Well, I'm not going to lie, that double shot of espresso was a pretty good line. Not as good. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some little behind the scenes here in our closing th- about the one time that I said that there was a skunk in my backyard when we were recording an intro. And Ken happened to delete a really awesome line that said he had a skunk full of backyards. So, That's right. yeah, it was great. It was brilliant. And it was just totally out of nowhere. And... It, it never, you never got to hear it. We did you a disservice there. Well, Ken did. It's his fault, so I blame him. But we are grace people, so so we will forgive him. He is repentant, and <laughs> I'm just kidding. So anyway, it's been it's been fun. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. I'm Anthony Portillo. I'm Ken Boone. This is the Alliance Podcast.